Hello and welcome to another episode of The Chronicle, the official film podcast of the People's Movies. My name is Paul, I'm your host and as well as the editor of The People's Movies. I welcome you to this episode 21 of the podcast. And if you've been listening to the last few podcasts, I've been saying we're going to get a co-host in. And guess what? We have a co-host with us today. And welcome to Clotilde Tunici. And hello to Clotilde, welcome on board. Hello, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us. Clotilde obviously does write for the People's Movies as well. But you like to tell uh, listeners a few other places where they might uh, find you at? Yeah, so I'm also website. a staff writer for Louder Care Reviews. And you can also find some of my writing in Movie Marker and Little White Lies as well. Yeah. Yep, uh, I do like Dion. Dion's a good friend of uh, Movie Marker. Uh, he's a good friend of the People's Movies. So this week we're going to do a little bit of a London Film Festival special. Obviously the first film that we're going to review is The Colours of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's new film, which is out now in cinemas. The other two are not just out quite yet. That's Poor Things with Emma Stone and All of Us Are Strangers, Andrew Haig's new film. And Clotilde's just going to do a little roundup at the very end on the London Film Festival. Is the Colours of the Flower Moon. That is Martin Scorsese's uh, latest epic, and it is an epic as well. And it's like any Martin Scorsese films, it has many actors in it. So, it, obviously, the main stars in this one are Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, and uh, Robert De Niro. So, this film, epic thriller, is now in UK cinemas. Is we'll go back to the turn of the 20th century. Oil has obviously brought fortune to the Osage nation. And they, they, they became the, ri- the richest people overnight here. And the wealth of the, these Native Americans was na- immediately attracted white interlopers. And they, manip- they manipulated, they extorted, and they stole much of the Osage's money as they could before resorting to murder. So this is obviously based on a true story. And it's told through... The Romance of Ernest Burkhart, which is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Molly Kyle, who's played by Lily Gladstone. This is, I like to say, it's an epic crime western saga where the real love crosses paths with the unspeakable betrayal. It stars Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons, and it's directed by the one and only Martin Scorsese. So, this film, I will say, and I think you might agree with me, Clotilda, it's a bit of an endurance test of uh, three okay. hours and uh, three hours and twenty-five minutes. It's so long, but I have to say, it doesn't feel that long when you're watching it. I think because I was a bit scared of the runtime, but it does really fly by. I never felt like it was dragging too much. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I, I was the exact same as well. And but what I'll say, any, anyone who goes in has never said they've never. They don't know much about. Uh, so says his previous films have <laughs> a bit of trouble here because yeah, it's a bit of a silly move. Because obviously, and I also think the running time puts off quite a few people as well. Because yeah, I which mean, is, it's such a shame because I think you can have shorter films that feel a lot longer, right? Yeah. And it's all about like how it's on screen. And I think we have to thank the editing for that. Like it's a big part of why this runtime doesn't feel nearly as long as it actually is. Yeah, I totally agree. It's still a bit of a slow burner, I think, because I think what it does is it gives you time to 
uh, learn all about what's happening here, like John McHale, which is uh, Robert De Niro's character, and it shows you his power and his influence on the town. And also, at the same time, it shows you the power that the Osage Nation has on the town of Fairfax, where it's uh, based on. And they, they were probably the wealthiest of all the Native American tribes of all the nations. And, and, and I think what was, which was well done was when again it's sort of credits, it's sort of a little montage and they show you the old pictures and things as and it shows you the uh, how the wealth that it did. And there's no many places where you actually see uh, white people are like driving the chauffeurs and it's a Aussie nation person that's in the back. It's mm-hmm. usually their way around in a lot of they, they portray that in a lot of uh, uh, films as well. And it actually showed you uh, also through us that they were living side by side. But obviously, when Ernest actually arrived in town, that's when we get a proper look, what the town yeah. really, really is like. And I, I think it was like the Wild Wild West when he arrived. I mean, you see, you know, the white prospectors are there and they're getting all the guys coming off the trains looking for work. Mm-hmm. And you, you see a lot of the Osage men. And I think they were, if you like to say, addicted to the white man's uh, evils, like the booze, maybe even the drugs and also the greed. And then, yeah, and I think the, the people, the Osage Nation people that was in this town, I think the women were the smartest. They had the brains on because, like, any man, give them a bit of booze, even drugs or whatever, and mm-hmm. they, 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 can, they, they can do anything because Ernest was like that and he said his, weak, his weakest point was the women. Uh, and you did they say are, that, yes. You know, and it's, uh, it was, I mean, it was a fast. What I also liked at the beginning was it, sh- it sh- showed you why uh, John McHale was also called King as well, because he was like the King at times, where he was invited to the Osage Nation uh, people's uh, meetings, their, their, their funerals, their, their weddings, you name it, he was there and he even spoke some of the language yeah. as well. No, I don't know yeah, what you're I think that's a great build-up for the rest of the film because I think it's it would have been hard. It's I mean it's a hard like kind of context to introduce to us because it's the 1920s. Like it's very far from what we know, and I think a lot of people are not familiar with this history either. So I think yeah. one of the things that Pillars of the Flower Moon does best is really like this introduction to the time period and to the setting. It's yeah. It does take its time to do that, but it feels very quick. Like we're immediately kind of introduced to the contest and the people and how they relate to each other. Yeah. Which, especially like you said, with um, Robert De Niro's character, that really plays into the second and third acts of the film because without understanding the previous relationship, the kind of betrayal that comes at the end is not as wouldn't be as strong. But I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree because. Uh... You got glimpses of the manipulation and the greed, and even uh, what I noticed, uh, I was reading out a little bit about it, is the the book may, it goes a little bit more, too much into what we, what we call the white saviour as well. Mm-hmm. And I believe a couple of the actors had disagreements about that, and I think that was why Scorsese had to bring more of the love story into it between Molly and Ernest as well. And he, he, were you left wondering, did Ernest genuinely love Molly or was just manipulated by his uncle to marry one of these uh, Osage women? And uh, to obviously what they were wanting was to get the money. The money, yeah. I don't know what you think about that. I think that's yeah. really part of it. I think it's kind of one of the driving 
themes of the film for me. Um, it's kind of like you obviously Ernest is like not you know the best character. I mean he's a great character, but he's not the best person ever. Yeah. But I think as a as an audience member, you kind of really want to understand how far he's willing to go and like what's the kind of point of no return. That's what I was wondering. Like, yeah. what's it gonna be like? For me to really understand, does he care about his family or about money or about his uncle more? Like, what is his priority? And I think that was, the, for me, the driving force of the film and really trying to understand the psychology of this character. Um, I think it's an interesting kind of debate. Um, but I think for me, the ending and the entire last bit makes it clear that maybe he thinks he does love her, but in reality, he truly cared more. Or not cared more, but he was too easily manipulated and you know obviously there's no easy answer to say yes he did love her or not but it just feels like it couldn't have been love and and I think as well because you mentioned the kind of recentering of the narrative around Molly I think that was great because I mean Lily Glaston is amazing and she really comes off as almost the main character in this film and I thought that was really nice to see because it makes, in a way, for a stronger movie to understand the OSH perspective as well than just maybe yeah. from a detective point of view, as the book was. Yeah, I totally agree because I, I think the it was often necessity of the the film uh, just before COVID happened because um, this film's been brewing for a long, long time. I think it was in two thousand and nineteen. Uh, Mark Scorsese went to the actual chief, the current chief of the OSH Nation, to get to help them to make it authentic, get the language mm-hmm. uh, proper. And there was also, uh, the chief said, get, I think it was Julie O'Keefe on board. And she's an expert on the, especially the Aussie Nation as it comes to the fashion senses. And, and apparently she was only meant to be there for a week or 10 days. And she ended up being there for, I think it was the whole of the, uh, the production of the film. I mean, from the the the, the clothes that the the women wear, the shawls, the covers. I mean, just the actual way they were wearing it, and and obviously they were wearing the hats as well. Mm-hmm. I I just found that so fascinating, and, and she generally knew what what uh, how they to wear them. I believe the women, the way they can wear the shawls, I think it was six times they can do it, and a little bit less for the men as well. But just little things like that make it truly authentic as well. Yeah, the language. You know, I think it shows that a lot of research was done and and people from the Osage themselves were brought in. I think yeah. that's something that really shows in the film. Yeah, I, I totally agree as well. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I love the film. I mean, is, if you've heard down in my previous uh, podcast, I've gone about the soundtrack and the score, and a lot of people don't realise that the score is an integral part of the film as well. And yes. Robbie Robertson, I think it was, it record, was it Robbie Robertson? Yeah, I think it was Robbie Robertson who recorded the the, the score of this. He really, uh, apologies if it's the wrong one, I'm thinking of another film. Uh, yeah, uh, the score was really, really uh, played a, a part of it, you know, and, and I think that yeah. helped with the, the running of the film because at times it was like, it was just like, it was just like sound, it was just like tap to tap, tap to tap, you know, like the heartbeat going, you know, and it just, it really played yeah. into it. But as you said, That's I totally amazing. agree. Lily Gladstone, she she's the star of the show. I mean, has she actually done any other films or anything, TV or anything? I will need really research that because 
it was great how DiCaprio and De Niro, De Niro and any of the other actors in there who are very well established, I've sort of stepped back and let her uh, take her place. The one thing I found fascinating, I don't know about you, was the diabetes side of the thing, of the film. Mm-hmm. I actually had to research it, and it is true. A lot of the women, especially the women, a lot of them never lived to, a lot of them average age was 50 and under. I think they called it yeah. the wasting disease, and, and it's just fascinating. I, I don't know if it was because they were Native Americans or it was just the time, the, the, the period that was set in where things like insulin was fairly new, or it was uh, because of the money, it was it was hard to get by as well. I, I just like that side of the story. And also uh, when uh, Ernest started uh, doing the, the injection for his wife, you get you, you get to see uh, a little bit more of the corruption when when he was when he was asked by the doctors to add a little bit extra in as well. And uh, the king, he's standing there with all his sidekicks, and obviously. Ernest's own brother was part of the party as well. Yeah. And it's just fast. It was just so overall, it's just a fascinating film as well. And yeah. and and I think it just made it a more entertaining experience, as you said, with the authenticity of the Osage Nation. Another thing about I, I learned about the 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 fashion design. Lester Bayless, he used to design a lot of the costumes for John Wayne. As well, and they used they used a lot of his footprints, uh, like I say, the blueprints to actual design for everyone else, you know, to give it the more authentic Western feel as well. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that until I, I heard the, uh, uh, another podcast. The podcast I think I'm, I've learned a lot from was the Picture House podcast, which is quite good as well. With interviewed Julia O'Keefe and. Forgive me the name of the lady who was the main uh, fashion designer on it. And it was just a fascinating thought. I don't know about you, but I really, really enjoyed it. It was, I don't know what you thought of the Irishman. A lot of people did not like the Irishman. If we're going by the last film, this is, I think, uh, Martin Scorsese back to his original best. Maybe no Taxi Driver original best, but some more, yeah, sort of contemporary, maybe the last Mm -hmm. 20 years best film. For me, I would give it maybe four stars. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I gave it four and a half. I think also the expectation goes replaced a lot in that. I didn't really like The Irishman personally, so I was a bit unsure whether I would like his next film. I didn't really read or like watch many trailers because I wanted to go in blind. So it yeah. was also in a way unexpected how much I liked it because I wasn't a fan of The Irishman and I'm not usually a big Western person. So yeah. the way it actually managed to drag me into the story, I thought was quite impressive for somebody that doesn't really like the genre to begin with. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's the Killers of the Flower Moon, which is out. For the next film to be reviewed this week is Andrew Higgs' All of Us Are Strangers. So this is another film. It's not actually out yet. Uh, it was a, another preview that the London Film Festival gave to myself at uh, the Glasgow Film Fair. Thank you very much for Searchlight for letting me see this and obviously Pure Things. And I believe, Clotilde, you watched it at, actually at the London Film Festival. Yeah, I yep. did. Yep. So this stars Andrew Scott, who, if I remember rightly, Fleabag's Honky Priest, as a lot of girls like to remind me about. 
and also stars the man at the moment, his virtually everything as well. That's Irish actor Paul Mescal. Also stars Jamie Bell and Claire Foy as Adam's parents. So we start with one night, and it's in this near empty block in contemporary London. And Adam, who's Andrew Scott, he has a chat, he has a chance encounter with a mysterious neighbour, Harry, who's played by Paul Mescal. And what this does is it punctures the rhythm of everyday life for him. And as the relationship develops between them, Adam is preoccupied with the memories of his past. And he finds himself being drawn back to his, the London suburban town where he lived, where he grew up with his parents, and back to his childhood home, where his parents, who are played by Claire Foy and Jamie Bell, appear to be living. This is the way when he, 30 years ago uh, previously, but the thing is, they actually died. This film is actually loosely based on a 1987 Japanese novel called Strangers by Taichi Yamada. And what it does is it moves Tokyo from Tokyo, Japan to the, uh, London. There is another change in this uh, that novel, which I won't mention about because it could lead to a spoiler. Uh, as I said, Andrew Haig, he, he directs this and he adapts this film. And if anyone knows Andrew Haig, he, he, his breakout film is the the, the weekend, and he has also done films called Leon, Lean on Pete and also 45. What well, there, there is another thing I'm going to mention, and it's about the book and also the film. To basically, this film is very haunting, it's very poetic. As a film, I think it's all about, about grief and how, how we cope with grief and also the loneliness of the film. I don't know if you agree with that, eh, Clotilda. Yeah, I think so. And and that's why I thought for me the setting of London was really spot on in a way. I think yeah. it really speaks in a way to well, I mean not just London, but a lot of big cities and the loneliness you can feel yeah. despite being surrounded by people. I thought it was really interesting how it kind of used the city in the sense that we see a lot of establishing shots, but also that since they convey the loneliness of like being alone in this huge yeah. city. And then it's when he goes out of the city to go back to his childhood home that he gets to see his parents. I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a beautiful film, like in every sense, like to look at, but also very moving. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. It's, uh, it was the visual, the visual part of the movie. If I remember rightly, there was some, there was like an opening, and it reminisced of uh, Jonathan Glazer's, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the Alien film with uh, Scarlett Johansson, Under the Skin. Trust me, I thought it was set in Glasgow. <laughs> uh, it, it was the way the way they sort of transcribed the different uh, scenes. There was one bit, it just reminded me, remind me of that, and it was, uh, and it was just, it was. It, just seen the the lenses. The lenses were just gorgeous, and mm-hmm. and when he, he, he always showed you white scapes of uh, London itself, the the main city, and and how he's just in the lot. He's there and he's getting into the fridge, and it, and it just looks like a single person's uh, fridge. We half eaten uh, takeaway dinners. He's lying in the couch and he's watching terrible television, and obviously at the same time he he loves his eighties music. As well, and that sort of connects into uh, his parents, 
it was that the fantasy side that really attracted me to the movie, and I'm going, why is he? What what is going on here? You know what what is actually going on here? Not how he can actually speak to his parents and his parents. Yeah. He's having a chat with his parents, and there's no there's no there's no uh, spoilers here. Adam is gay, and Harry is gay as well. And so obviously there's quite a funny moment when he was going to his mother, going to meet his mother, and his mother's asking him. Oh, you get kids? Who, who you get a girlfriend? It's your wife, you know, who is she? And, he, and he's trying to tell her, tell her uh, about he's actually gay. And and obviously, I'm I'm a kid in eighties. Um, I'm I'm a kid in eighties. I was born in mid seventies, so I could slightly relate because relate with Adam's character as in the things they do with the nineteen eighties. And and he's he's explaining there, um, he's gay, and obviously. If anyone knows that the history of AIDS, it was when it, when AIDS hit hit the world, it was seen as a gay man's disease, and it was all that sort of stereo. His his mum's giving that sort of stereotypical uh, reaction. Oh, he's gay. He might have the big disease, you know. And it was, uh, and you, you can see with Adam's reaction going, "Mum, what what sense are you in?" You know, type of thing. Uh, everything's better now, and ever, and obviously in the eighties, if anyone was gay or lesbian. Yeah, the people were still very open, but there was a lot of discrimination there. Don't get me wrong, there is discrimination now, but it's a bit more open, you know. Uh, it's all it's all part of culture and society of today, and I like that side of things as well. And I like to what I will say to anyone. Of course, it's a an LGBT a romance drama. Don't let that put you off, because yeah, there is a few uh, sex scenes in there. They're nothing. They're not pornographic or anything. Yeah, you've seen any sex scenes in any Hollywood movies? Yeah, you would get it. You know, it's nothing, nothing graphic as well. But I, I, I really, I, I also think it was a bit of an audio-visual experience. I don't know what you think as well. The the sounds, the even when it's the, the silence, that that's another sense of the loneliness when he's standing in the balcony, or even when he's looking up. The right at the beginning when the fire alarms go off, and he's looking up and he can see Harry and he's up in his uh, his flat as well, you know, and there's no one around. Maybe an odd person passes, and he's he's wanting to uh, interact with him, but they don't interact with him. You know, it's, it was it was just such a gorgeous movie, a very haunting movie as well, a very poetic movie mm-hmm. as well. You know, I I just it was just an all a lovely film to watch. You know, yeah. I don't know about you. I agree, and I think the acting really made it as well. Like it's such it's such a pleasure to see. And just got enormous car opposite each other because yeah. it, you can tell they're so good. They just bring their A game and yeah. it's it's really wonderful to see, especially because the cast is quite small. Um, I think they all really get time to shine in a way. Pair of Boy was also fantastic in it. And I yeah. think you'll really connect to these characters for whatever reason because yeah. the acting is so good. They they really show the human side of it and I thought it was a very powerful way of depicting grief and the idea of moving on, but how can you move on if you're still yeah. grieving someone? And obviously there's no kind of textbook answer to that, but yeah. I thought the way it was portrayed was really moving and I think something a lot of people can kind of see themselves in, in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, everybody at my screening cried, so uh, I think at least, because I, I remember walking out, I was one of the first people out, and I just saw everyone storming out, like, <laughs> crying, and I was like, me too. 
And the yeah. fact that it spoke to so many people and moved so many people to tears, I think, is an accomplishment in of yeah. itself. Yeah, well, once again, I actually watched it with the public. So right at the very end, I mean, the music was uh, 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 helped to initiate that uh, emotion as well. And it was so silent, you know, that way, you know, the form's hurt, hurt a bone. It's hurt the mm-hmm. heartstrings and it pulls the, pulls the heart in every direction. And then it, right at the end, it was just silence when the credits came up. And then it was just clap. You know, the farm's it's hot the jackpot as well. Yeah. I think once again, it might be another film. Sadly, unfortunately, it might do better at an art house cinema than, a, than in a mainstream cinema, which is a yeah. shame because it is a fantastic movie. I mean, I, t- yeah. I mentioned a lot, a, a lot of time in our review films, a lot of people are so drawn into their heads that all they, need, all they have to watch is superhero movies or big or IP films. movies, you know. Step out, I mean, when I started the People's Movies, I started another website called Cinehouse in 2009, and I called that my cinema education. That's when I when I found the, the, the Glasgow Film Theatre, and that introduced me to the world cinema, old and new films, uh, big independent films, and, it opened my, and, and wow, what a Pandora's box I opened there, and it's fantastic. And I think more people should really step out of uh, that that. A comfort zone and actually going to watch films like this and even poor things as well and the colors of the flower moon and just sort of see uh, what wonderful films are i mean it was a captivating film it was yes. wonderfully well executed film the music played greatly as well for the 80s theme and also played to the emotions as well what i also liked was there was the one point when he ended up staying at his mum and mum and dad's house and you see him in the mirror and it sat to him as a young boy. And obviously, yeah, yeah I thought that was fantastic. I like that as well. Yeah, I thought that was great. And and it made you wonder, is that how his parents are seeing him? Yeah. Well? At times, I wondered that. And then obviously, it left you that. They just see him as he is, as he is, he is now. I mean, it's it mean, just so much. I think it's one of the ones, just go and see it. Experience it yourself. And just uh, see how great the actual film is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's a film that I would actually easily give five out of five. I don't Me know about too. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, my first five stars of the festival, so. Yeah, and anyone knows me is it's followed my website or listened to me, and then I used to do scary monsters and super geeks on uh, another internet radio. Uh, I always, uh, I find it very hard to give certain films five stars, but this film, I definitely give five stars. And that is yeah. All of Us Are Strangers, which I believe is out on the 26th of January of 2024. And it's Searchlight Pictures again. There you go, five stars. And the next film on for the Chronicle this week is uh, Emma Stone's Poor Things. And so over to you, Clotilda, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about this film. Yes. So Four Things follows Bella Baxter, who's played by Emma Stone. Um, she's a young woman who has been brought back to life by a scientist. And during the film, we see her go in this kind of adventure and journey of self-discovery as she travels to different countries. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's the plot in a very short 
Right. Yeah, yeah, I probably agree because I think if we told a lot bit more, uh, and might be getting into sort of spoiler territory. Apologies yes. to anyone of any of the reviews we give. There's a little bit of spoiler there as well. Yeah, what, what did you think of the poor things? I'll let you. Uh, tell I really Yeah, I, I mean, surprisingly, again for me because I, before watching poor things, I was not a fan of Emma Stone or Lantimos films, like. I've seen others and I wasn't really, I don't know, I just didn't really get them, I guess. Um, but with this film, I was just like kind of blown away because they really managed to, um, not convince me, but really make me empathize with the story. And I think Emma Stone was just so good in it. I I haven't watched that much of her, but what I had watched previously had not really sold me. And I think in this film, I was like, I finally see what everybody sees in Emma Stone. Um, so I really liked it. I love the cinematography as well. I think that was one of the elements that stood out the most to me because it's obviously it's very out there. Um, and it's I think it's very symbolic. There's a lot to it that I would kind of love to watch it again to really um, go into it. But the use of colours and black and white, that's very fascinating to me because you can tell there's a symbolism to it, but it's also just beautiful to see. And when these two things come together, I think that's when movies really succeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm the, I, I enjoyed it to a certain extent, but then I didn't enjoy it. I uh, watched it a couple of days after the London Film Festival uh, ended. Uh, obviously, my accent gives it away. I'm not from, I don't live close to London. I actually love close to Glasgow and the Glasgow Film Theatre had, I think, the first public preview shown outside the London Film Festival. And the book is actually it's actually based on an Alistair Gray book uh, who is actually from Glasgow. He sadly died a few years ago and his son was actually in attendance and so were the, uh, one of the producers as well and it, it was fascinating what he was telling us about the story about how Lagomos, Jorgis Lagomos came to Glasgow and he showed him around the city uh, just to let him show the city and it, the funny thing was he thought because he was uh, Greek would take him to the necropolis which is one of the famous uh, if you come to Glasgow places you would go to necropolis if anyone's seen uh, the Batman but the end scene that's actually Glasgow of uh, the the Robert Parson uh, version. Oh, yes, I did hear about this, actually. Yeah, he, he just thought because it's Necropolis, it was because he's great, he would like it, you know. So I, yeah. got a bit of, I get a bit of a running joke as well. And uh, I didn't realise how sex mad Alistair Gray was. I went into it blind. I knew it was Emma mm-hmm. Stone. I have to admit, I was not a, not a fan of the favourite. I could see all the Barry Lyndon... Yeah. Uh, influences there, we were trying to do sort of Barry Lyndon, Stanley Kubrick from there. I didn't really like it. Uh, I loved, when I watched the trailer, I loved all the uh, Terry Gilliam-esque things that I saw in the trailer. I mean, I love 12 Monkeys. Other Terry Gilliam films, I could come and go as well with that, and I was starting to like it, and I thought, this has got, I thought the Willem Dafoe's Scottish accent was about 28 times, you know, and yeah. I was I was in for I'm Brutty just suddenly appear out of nowhere. Scotland's national soft drink, you know, uh, appear and it is. I was thinking, right, this is this is 
then slowly it started to sink into of is it Terry? I for, forgive me. The the old actor Terry. Oh Terry. He used to have that saying hello. He used to say that a lot in a lot of the old sixties films. Mm. I really I really need to think of the names guy the guy's name and it was sort of like and can into sort of carry on type films as well. Yeah. Uh, I think it was when he when she gets to Paris. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I appreciated the, the sort of liberation things where it's like she's been reborn again. She's like, yeah. I think when when she starts going to travels, that was a, a young woman again, you know, rediscovering herself, rediscovering everything. And when she got to Paris, it was it was like that was when I thought this is getting too gross as well. I don't know about you, what it was. You, you, you watched. Did you watch it in a press screening at the film festival yes. or a private or a press or a? a I watched public? the press screening in the morning, so I think it was probably the first screening at the festival. Yeah, I watched it with the public, and it was uh, like five hundred people with me, and every time there was a swear word, uh, people were just bursting out laughing. It was like I think it was like repeating the same joke again. Mm-hmm. And, and it would get quite repetitive and she said that word again and she says right let's do it again I forget the word that she called it as well and then oh, she got yeah it was it, people just found it hilarious and when she got mm-hmm. to Paris she started to prostitute herself that, so I saw it and I thought this is getting a little bit gross it's getting beyond I, I'm wondering this film is about, about I think about two and a half hours two, two and a quarter hours I wonder yeah. if it may be Maybe I worked a little bit better if it was a little bit shorter. I do agree. I think there were parts that I was like, okay, it's getting a bit too much. Um, Especially because, like, I know we talked about runtime before, but it's not, you know, it's not an hour and a half film. It could have been cut. Yeah. Um, I do think, like, for me, it just felt like it was, there were bits where it was going a bit too much, and then it would just kind of bring me back in. I think, in that sense, the plot really worked for me. Yeah. So even those moments when I was like, oh, it's getting a bit too much or too weird, I managed to kind of stay with it because the plot was so fascinating. And yeah, and I mean, I really wanted to, to know what happens to this woman because they're kind of, like you said, it's kind of a history. She has kind of this repeated history of being imprisoned in a way by these men and everybody wants to impose something onto her. So it's just really fascinating to see yeah. her grow into the person that she will become. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, if not with the specifics of it, but with the theme overall. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting that because I haven't watched it with the public, I think that would be a completely different experience. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm actually really curious to see how the general public is going to react to it because it's not, it's not your kind of commercial film, yeah. right? No, it's not. So it's, that's going to be really interesting because it's doing really well with press and at Venice, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go down well with yeah. the public it's because like you said it's, it's a lot there's so much yeah yeah but I mean don't get me wrong I thought Emma Stone was great mm-hmm. and I, uh, I forget the actor who William Defoe brought over to his house to oh yes what was his name oh he uh, was great as well yeah I think of, of, of all the men he was probably the truly honest man yeah. I might be wrong who, who, would, who would marry it, honour it, and then what Mark Ruffalo's character was only interested in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's the total polar opposite. But I think they had to show a character like that to, 
to show she was like the object of desire of a lot of perverted men, you know. Yes. Uh, he has. He was a bit. He was a bit of the mind of that Terry actor. Apologies yeah. if any, anyone's listened to this. Uh, who knows the actor I'm talking about? Please put it in the comments when I when I do post this. I'm not good uh, at that. Yeah, he was a little bit. He was a little bit like uh, Johnny Depp's uh, character, and that mm-hmm. re- really, really horrible uh, film that he did as well. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the the pirates. It was another one that he did. It was oh, it was a one word name. Oh, and he had like a a, a pin straight moustache, pencil moustache. And he talked with a really posh English accent. Oh, it sounds familiar, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was a film. I, I think we all forgot about it as well. So people, like I think Colin Firth may have been in it as well. Mm. Uh, so I think that character, he was getting to a point where, no, just, just go. I don't, just get rid of him, which she did as well. Mm-hmm. And and then obviously the more, and then obviously she get back to, uh, obviously when she found out her dad, if you like, say Wong Defoe, something was going on there as well. It was a bit of a hodgepodge for me. Uh, I thought it was a bit gross. I also thought it was, uh, acting was great. Uh, visually, it was a wonderful thing to watch. If you think like things like Brazil, uh, films like Brazil and that, you're going to maybe enjoy it. You're right about the conventional side of things. It's definitely going to appeal maybe more to an art house audience mm-hmm. so like i watched in the glasgow film theater that's glasgow's uh, main uh, art house cinema so any yeah. little cinemas like that independent cinemas that will do a lot lot better as well but yes, if you're a little uh, bit grossed out maybe i'll maybe read up about about alistair gray before it comes out in january and maybe go and give it a second watch yeah as well and i might like it differently but for me personally i only gave it two stars what about yourself Oh, two stars. I gave it four. Yeah. Four. So there you go. That is Pure Things, and that is f- f- two stars and four stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chronicles and Film, uh, podcast episode 21. And Clotilda, uh, obviously that was three films which have all been at the London Film Festival. You've seen many more. Would you like to just do like a little mini roundup of the, the other films? What have you thought of them? And, and it's over to you. Yeah, so I thought it was a great festival. I liked almost every single film that I saw. Okay. I also thought it was a great kind of mixture of genres and it was like comedy and documentary. And that's always nice when it happens yeah. and you get to see a lot of different things and all very good at what they do. Um, yeah. My top three, I think that's how I should start, was yeah. um, The Holdovers, which Ooh, I loved. Nice. Um, I thought the trailer didn't really do it justice because I wasn't, I didn't really have high expectations walking in. And it's really yeah. hard for comedy to be consistently good, I think. Yeah. But The Holdovers really did that. Um, I think credit to the writing team and to the acting as well yeah. because they just pull it off consistently okay. um, All of Us Strangers as mentioned was also yeah. one of my favourites and I also liked uh, Four Daughters is the other one I gave five stars to, it's only three um, I think a lot of people maybe didn't see it but it first premiered at Cannes and it's a documentary I, I love documentaries but I think they're really hard to see yeah. and to do and I think Four Daughters for me is genuinely one of the best documentaries I've ever seen 
in terms of how it engages with the story, but also how it uses the documentary form itself, you can see that it's a story that could not have been told in any other format that wasn't documentary, but also the way it kind of uses its subject. I think that's also always tricky with documentaries. You never know kind of the moral side of it and the, uh-huh. the way, like, are, are these people happy with how it's going to be portrayed? And I think in Four Daughters, you'll get an answer to that. And to me, that was really important. Um, yeah, I also think it was a great year for, like, female directors, which is always something that makes me happy because some other of my favorites were Saltburn by Emma Fanno, which is fantastic. I still think about it like every other day. <laughs> I thought it was really good. And I'm a fan of Emma Fanno. So if you like her style and if you like promising young woman, I think you're gonna like Saltburn. It's in a very similar vein, but also very unique. Um, yeah, I also liked How to Have Sets, which is a British filmmaker. So I also love that the London Film Festival championed British filmmaking. That's always nice to see as well. And another good one for me was Priscilla by Sophia Coppola as well. Um, I thought they were all very different, but also in, a, in their own way, all very interesting portrayals of like becoming a woman and yeah, it's just amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think this year has been really good, and we've also seen a lot of kind of like things that relate to today. If that makes sense. Um, I thought yeah. like the kitchen, which was the closing film, it was so hauntingly relatable in a way. Um, it's uh-huh. supposed to be like science fiction and dystopic, and yet when you watch it, it's like it's almost like watching the news. And I, I thought that was so disturbing in a way, but also really makes you think about our reality, which yeah. is it's always great, I think, with films do that. Um, and the same can be said of other films. I watched um, Occupied City as well, which is really long. It's four, yeah. four hours or a little bit wow. more than that. Yes. Um, but then again, I thought it was also a film that spoke to today really yeah. well. Um, it's it's in a way that haunting as well. But yeah, it was really long. I also did it back to back with Killers of the Flower Moon. So that was wow. really <laughs> yeah. Nice software, my feeling. <laughs> it was it was very long, but I did get an intuition, so that we appreciate. That's good. Um, good. I do I do think Occupy City, although I liked it, I don't think it's a film for everyone. Like I'm aware that the kind of mainstream cinema goer is not going to sit through a four-hour yeah. documentary about the Nazi occupation of Amsterdam. To me, that's just a given. But I think for people that are interested in Steve McQueen documentaries or the history of it, it's a really valid, if very long, um, portrayal yeah. of that. Um, just a few more to mention that I liked are The Book of Clarence, which I thought was hilarious and just very funny there's been really good comedy like I said but at the same time I also found that the comedy that we saw at the London Film Festival was also very profound in its own way um the book of Prince it's also very unique I think um yeah because it's kind of a biblical epic but with a lot of humor to it and that's not something that usually goes together um and I also like the book of solutions which 
kind of similar characters actually um yeah. they're both uh very funny and very different but both a very good watch i think and i also really liked one life with anthony hopkins and that's another one that i thought spoke to today despite being set during the second yeah. world war it's I, I, one other one where i think everybody cried because how can you not cry um yeah. when you see something like that it really made me think about like the power of human action it was just a very good film and obviously Anthony Hopkins, he's great so yeah what else can you say yeah i think those were like my kind of favorites um but every most of the films i've seen were really good and excellent products so that's not always the case i'm very glad there was a very good selection yeah yeah there's a few salt burns one of the films i'll be watching at the start of november my next press day in glasgow and uh, kitchen the kitchen i'm quite interested as well i believe that's coming out netflix 90 percent sure exactly what the date it's out on the the anti hawkins one i'm i'm really looking forward to uh that's January maybe I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe it's uh, the the start of January. I think maybe the first weekend of January. There's quite a few, I believe, big films that's coming out uh, at that uh, day as well. No, yeah. no, there's a lot there. I've obviously I've recently seen The Killer, David Fincher's film, uh, which we played London, which is in cinemas this week. That's coming Friday, but also in Netflix, I believe, in the November the tenth. And I've also seen Kitty Green's uh, Royal Hotel, which Julie Gar- Julia Garner's in it, and Jessica Heswick, the English actress. I think she was in things oh, like she's the great. Last, Matrix, yeah. last Matrix film. Let's get everyone's favourite Australian Hugo Weaving in it as well. Yeah, that's two films I think maybe try and talk about in the next episode as well. No, there's a lot, a lot of uh, good stuff to look forward to as well. And hopefully here in uh, the Chronicle, we can actually... Uh, review some of them in future episodes so thank you very much for that and there you have it folks there's another episode of the chronicle episode 21 the people movies official film podcast i'd like to thank you for joining us clotilda thank you very much for joining us we'll be seeing you joining us in, in, in the next episode yeah, Clotilde, would you like to let everyone know any social media you're on if you want anyone to follow you? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Films with Chloe, which is the same as Letterbox, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram, I'm the person being Chloe. And on Blue Sky, I believe it's just my name and surname. So, ClotildeKinichi.BlueSky social. That should be Thank you very much. Obviously, you, you'll read uh, Clotilde's reviews on thepeoplesmovies.com. As in uh, my uh, social media, at the People's Movie on Twitter and on uh, Facebook, and also over on Instagram as well. As in, thank you very much for searching pictures and let me review all of the strangers and poor things. And obviously, uh, Sony, is it Sony? No, Paramount, Paramount and... Apple for The Colors of the Flower Moon, which is currently in UK cinemas. The other two, they'll be with you in certain UK cinemas in uh, January. As ever, please do share this podcast and future podcasts on social media with your friends and family. 
as I said, we're going to go for a every two week a, a episode, slightly longer episodes. You may get the odd a episode in between. Maybe myself or just uh, Clotilda. You can also follow us, uh, get your podcast uh, at the usual popular favourite podcasts like Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, Castbox, Radio Public, to name a few. And occasionally, as I said, you'll hear me chat chatting over at the original home of the podcast, chroniclesinfilm.com, the Chronicle Extra. This week, I'm going to do that with two uh, reviews from uh, Eureka Video, their latest uh, films. Sign up to the newsletter over the People's Movies. You'll find it on the banner, column banner on the side of the website. Other than that, uh, you can support the Chronicle and the People's Movies at Buy Me A Coffee and also at PayPal. Other than that, thank you very much, Chloe Tilda, for joining us. And for you, viewers, thank you for joining me. Until the next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>